What is a constitutional sheriff and why should you care? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, here's the question. How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is The Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. What is up? What is up? What is up, my Dark Horse friends and family? Welcome back to your weekly dose of Protect and Defend Learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman, and you, well, that, my friend, as always, is infinitely more important. You are or a driven entrepreneur, or one in the making. Either way, you're here because you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, or just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, or business results in order to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. But today, I want to come at you from a completely different angle, because as always, whenever I have any of the amazing um interview guests I'm lucky enough to have aboard. I say I have a big episode. This is a huge one today. Today, Sheriff Mack is going to be sharing so much about the importance of having a constitutional sheriff protect you to protect your family and your business. Plus, I'm going to tease next week's episode uh, because next week we have this amazing woman who has been featured on networks like ABC, CBS, and NBC for her expertise on empowering women to boss up. Now, usually this is the point where I say, hey, the ch- the dark horse corrals are chock full of all this and all that and the G-O-L-D and let's go and I do an introduction for our guest I want to do something a little different today because this is going to be a different episode. So I just want to, I want to lay the groundwork for you. The guest we have today is not a businessman in the sense that he's an entrepreneur or anything, but he's a businessman in the sense he's out there protecting us. Uh, Sheriff Mack is the founder of the CSPOA, which is the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a former sheriff, hence the name Sheriff Mack. And he has served in this wide variety of roles over the course of his nearly 20-year career in law enforcement. He uh, started off with the Provo Police Department in Provo, Utah. And he started off as a parking enforcement cadet. Uh, and then after attending BYU and graduating, He later went on to serve as a full-time officer, was promoted to corporal, sergeant, and even detective, and even served uh, a year uh, in an undercover narcotics agent capacity uh, in his uh, assignment. But things changed later in his career, as you'll hear in his story, and I'm going to let him tell it, when the Brady Bill was brought to his jurisdiction. And here's why I want to make sure we understand the importance of what Sheriff Mack is going to be sharing with us today. There are amazing people out there protecting us day and night. All right, let's go. We have the military out there doing, uh, throwing their lives on the line in so many uh, avenues. And being a third generation military man, I feel for these fellows. Uh, and then we have, you know, all those frontline folks we've heard about since COVID hit the airwaves, right? Uh, all our doctors and our nurses and our firemen and, and paramedics and the sheriffs. 
And then we hear this big thing about defund the police. I don't know about you, but when things are going sideways and I want to pick up the phone and dial 911, I do not want the pizza delivery guy arriving to help me out. It's just not going to do me any damn good. Um, I want a well-trained and well-staffed police force uh, to arrive to help me out in whatever the situation may be that I am unable to, to handle myself. And then there's a level of those sheriffs that are out there, and they're referred to as constitutional sheriffs. These are the folks that you and I, as voting citizens, have elected to serve us in a law enforcement capacity. And their job is to enforce the laws in the Constitution. Now, were you aware of this? There's probably a handful of you, maybe more than a handful of you, that are shaking your head no. This, my friend, is why Sheriff Mack is on the Dark Horse Entrepreneur today. Because their job, his job, all those constitutional sheriff's roles out there that you elected is to help protect you, protect your family, protect your rights, protect your business. And if you're not leveraging them, to your fullest capacity, then shame on you. And if you're not electing those that you believe will actually do the damn job, then shame on us collectively. Because it's we collectively that vote these ladies and gentlemen into that office so that they could serve their constituents in the most uh, amazing way possible. And one last thing before we get into uh, listening to Sheriff Mack. At the end of this, I'm not going to give you my thoughts as I always do. I just want you to hear his message and let it ring in however it rings for you. Good, bad, or indifferent. And if if it rings for you, maybe go back and listen to it again and really hear what it is he's saying. These ladies and gentlemen in their roles as sheriff are here to serve us. And it's it's Sheriff Mack's goal and his organization's goal to train as many sheriffs and peace officers and elected officials as they're able regarding to what it means to uphold the very oath that they all take. They all took it so that they understand the purpose of government, of their role in helping us secure our rights. That's it. So that they understand that above all else, it's liberty first. And that the Constitution can't be suspended, even in a time of crisis. I know this is going into some pretty ah, controversial arenas right now, right? So I think that makes a message like this even more important to hear. I know. And here's the thing. I really honestly do not care which side of this argument you may be on. I want to educate you. I want to share this message with you. And if you still are on an opposite side of the argument than me, then that's fine. I have no qualms against you believing your beliefs, especially if you live in this great country that I live in, the United States of America. That's why we live here, so that we can believe those beliefs, how we want to believe them. But here's the thing, my friend. I believe my way and I'll respect you to believe yours. And as long as the way I believe doesn't impact the way you believe, then let's let each other just live our lives and peace. It is not until the way I believe directly impacts, alters, prohibits, or stops the way you want to live that we probably should have a further discussion and maybe even a disagreement that needs to be taken to authorities to handle. 
But if in the meantime, what I'm doing doesn't impact you and what you're doing doesn't impact me and it's not impacting negatively anyone else on this planet, then so be it. That's living right. That's that's all right. It's in it's it's in writing. It's in the Bill of Rights. It's in the Constitution. Go find your happiness. That's why many other people across this planet come to this amazing country so they can live the life that they dreamed of. And I want you to live the life that you dream of. That's why I come on here three times a week here lately, sharing ideas, tips, concepts to help you level up your life your personal life, your relationship life, your business life. And that's why I bring on this gentleman today so that you can be informed on how someone you elected can help you keep those rights within the Constitution. And with that, let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, Sheriff Mack, once again, man, welcome to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur. Dark Horse Entrepreneur. Yes, sir. The dark horse entrepreneur. It's for all those dark horses, those underdogs out there. Sometimes even the rebels, right? Those ones that uh, people are like, you're not going to make anything of your life, but you know what? We're going to charge ahead and we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so well, I know I, what dark horse means and I know what entrepreneur means. So I guess that makes sense. It all makes it right? all kind of yeah. feathers together, right? We're those underdogs out there. But this isn't about us, right? This is about you. So I want to give you an opportunity to share your story, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I know you have some cool high points in what well, some might call it low points, but you have some cool points in your story. And so I'm going to shut up and let you tell it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, there's so many different miracles about what has brought me to be in front of you today or where we met at the Red Pill Expo. And, and I can't believe that this has ever happened to me. If you would have told me when I was a rookie police officer some 35 years ago uh, th that I was going to be on the lecture circuit and that I was going to write seven or eight, nine books. I've got a new book that I'm working on right now that I need to hurry and get finished. <laughs> And I'll tell you the title of that book, COVID-19, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> and uh, isn't that a great title based That's a on great the title. movie with Jack Nicholson about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? And I, I'm going to compare what's going on to the evil uh, practices of Nurse Cratchit and that uh, insane asylum that was so cruel and evil and murderous. And and I believe that, that the insane asylum today is Washington, D.C., and the Democrat and Republican Party always pushing things on us that are evil. And of course, evil is called good and good is called evil today. And uh, I just want to I want to put that book out there. And hopefully, because that's what I do, I, I go around the country trying to wake everybody up mm -hmm. uh, to our awful situation. But my story starts in Safford, Arizona, uh, where I was the, the Graham County Sheriff. I grew up in Safford. And it's a small farming community. And now I guess we have to change that to copper mining, the three C's, copper, cattle, and cotton uh, <laughs> of that county. And uh, I loved it. It was a great place to uh, be raised and a great place to be from. And uh, I played a lot of sports and I was very, I was a very good athlete. And I met my wife there. Uh, she was from a neighboring town. Uh, I'm five years her senior. And then I, I started my police career up in Utah. And after 11 years, everything was going great. And you know what happens when everything's going great in your life? Yep. Your in-laws call. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And and my wife's parents kept calling and asking us to move home and run for sheriff so that we wouldn't that, that my county wouldn't get this corrupt sheriff in there. And I, um, both my wife and I told them to leave me alone, uh, that I had no intention of moving home. I had no intention of running for sheriff, leaving a, a great job. And uh, our kids are doing uh, great in school and the school's right next door and the church is across the street. And and so uh, anyway, uh, some something came over us. Some epiphany happened to me and my wife, and we looked at each other one day when I was in my police uniform, and I was actually a detective at the time, so I was plain clothes, but I had a uniform where I guess I had to work some parade or something, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I came home, and both of us said at the same time, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And I go, yes, I think so. What are you thinking? She goes, you're never going to wear that uniform again. I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm never going to wear this uniform. And literally, we just picked up right then, I mean, within a week or two, and we moved home to Graham County, Arizona, Safford, Arizona. I ran for sheriff, and I hadn't even lived there for 12 years. I had never worked in law enforcement anywhere in the state, never worked in law enforcement in my hometown or my county. And uh, But I did have a lot of law enforcement experience in Utah, and I did everything in law enforcement. Uh, imaginable. It was a great education. And so I ran on that. I'm I'm new blood and I'm old blood. This is where I'm from. I left and got educated and I'm very dedicated to the principles of the constitution. I ran on a constitutional platform and on a very professional law enforcement platform. And I worked my tail off and I got elected. Then four years later, I got reelected. And in 1994, um, we had a share, uh, January 21st, 1994, we had a Sheriff's Association meeting in Phoenix and three agents of the BATF were present at this meeting and they handed us a document that was 25 pages long that detailed, now get this, that detailed what our marching orders would be and had to be in order to enforce the Brady Bill for the federal government for free. No negotiation, no contract, no input from us, just this is what you shall do. And get this, first time in American history where a bill or act, I'm not going to call it a law because it was unlawful, where a bill or act actually uh, threatened to arrest local officials for not enforcing a, Brady, uh, a, a federal law or a federal statute according to their dictates. And every sheriff in the room was a dead set against it. They were cussing. They said, this is crazy. This is arrogance. And the federal government just seemed to think they can get away with anything. And that's the problem with the federal government today. They they believe that they are it, its own declaratory act that we fought a revolutionary war to stop that Thomas Paine described as an act of slavery. If government thinks it can do anything it wants to, to you anytime they want to, that is the same as slavery. Mm. And so uh, I became the, I became so incensed with this stupid bill that I decided to sue the federal government. And indeed I did. And thank goodness, uh, six other sheriffs joined me in that lawsuit. I could name all six of them for you. <laughs> and Sheriff Prince from Montana and I ended up at the U.S. Supreme Court in December of 1996. And Justice Scalia wrote the decision for the majority, 5-4 split, uh, which assailed the Brady Bill, which assailed Congress, told the Congress that they exceeded their authority and that indeed the Brady Bill was unconstitutional. Now get this, there were five Brady Bills scheduled. And so literally Sheriff Prince and I, two small town sheriffs, 
preserved the Second Amendment by using the Tenth Amendment, and that killed Brady Bills 2, 3, 4, and 5, which altered the history of America because Brady Bills 2, 3, 4, and 5 were going to completely gut and destroy the Second Amendment, mm. all FFLs, and stop all gun shows. And so we uh, people in the gun rights movement who really know the case and know what happened tell me all the time that you saved our business, you saved our gun show, and you bought us about 30 years uh, in preserving the Second Amendment. Uh, obviously, we can't stop all gun control uh, because you have criminal uh, politicians that are going to break the law and try to initiate gun control uh, no matter what. And, and let me make this very clear. The Second Amendment makes gun control against the law in the United States of America. And that's easy to determine that that, that conclusion is inescapable if you read the intent of the founding fathers in the promulgation of the Second Amendment. So after that, I lost my third election bid. And ever since then, I took on a couple of uh, trivial jobs uh, here and there, but I was a consultant for Gun Owners of America. I was a consultant for a food storage company and preparedness uh, company. Uh, and then I actually taught school a little bit. And then I actually sold cars for a friend of mine for a little bit while I was helping my, fa my uh, father wh while he was uh, about to die and helping my mother uh, with my dad. And then after he passed away, uh, I started writing books again and I went back on the lecture circuit and uh, I've been doing that full time off and on for the last 10 years. I was also a school teacher during the last 10 years and I just quit teaching school so that I could do this full time so that I can work with sheriffs in making sure that they are trained and that they understand the oath of office and that they understand their obligation and their constitutional obligation. Whoops, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> and, and that they understand their constitutional obligation to uphold and defend the basic human civil rights that we were blessed with by God when we were born in this country. So that's what I do full time. And I've started an organization called the CSPOA, uh, as you well know. And it's uh, that's the acronym for Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. And it's based on the belief that if the sheriffs of this country will defend, protect, serve, and uphold those four words, if they will just do those four words and keep their oath of office, we will take back America and restore our Constitution tomorrow. We don't have to wait for more legislation. We don't have to wait for another election. This is exactly what the sheriffs are obligated to do. They should do it. They must do it. If we're going to save America and keep it peaceful and effective, this wonderful solution can happen tomorrow. But we need you and we need everybody in this country to get behind their sheriffs, to get behind this movement so that we can make Washington, D.C. corruption irrelevant, that we can stand against the bureaucrats who are perpetuating these crimes against humanity and against our Constitution and get back to the liberty that we were supposed to have when we became a country in 1776. Man, whew, that's powerful. And like I was mentioning to you earlier, when I, my, my family and I watched you give your presentation, a lot of this content you're sharing was in there. Obviously, you, you, you went into a lot more detail about some of the story pieces um, at, your, at your speech. But one of the things I, I really want you to kind of help the listeners understand is 
okay, I have a sheriff. What, what's he talking about? Of course, my sheriff is going to protect and defend. But you're talking about a very specific type of protection and defense of laws and a constitutional sheriff. A sheriff isn't always a constitutional sheriff. So help them understand that better. Okay, well, first, you have to understand that people need to understand that the sheriff is the only elected law enforcement officer anywhere in their county, anywhere in their state, and pretty much anywhere in the country. And in so doing, that establishes that county as a part of the constitutional republic that we were all part of uh, that began in 1776. Uh, we really didn't become a country until about 1787 yeah, uh, right. when we when we have the Constitutional Convention. But be that as it may, the sheriff works and answers to the people, only the people. He has no other supervisor. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't report to the county attorney. that He's not his boss. The county board of supervisors or county commissioners are not the sheriff's boss. Only we, the people, are the sheriff's boss. And, and it's, a, it's amazing. It's wonderful. And he has sworn to those people when he took his job that he would swear an oath of allegiance to the Constitution. So of the state Constitution and the federal Constitution. And so if he sees anyone violating those rights, he has an obligation to interpose, to stand in the way and make sure that that threat is quelled and squashed and gotten rid of. And so that's really his job. And it, it doesn't it doesn't single out that or sp specify a different responsibility. It just adds to all the others he has. I mean, he still needs to uh, respond to family fights. Mm -hmm. He still needs to arrest people for drunk driving. He still needs to stop theft and, and arrest people for theft or embezzlement or extortion or rape or sexual assault or child abuse or human trafficking. Uh, the one thing I have called a farce, though, and I used to be an undercover narcotics officer, is the farce known as the drug war. In fact, just about every time the federal government comes out with another one of their wars, like the war on poverty or mm -hmm. the war on terrorism or the war on crime or the war on drugs, it, they all get worse. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm not a fan of the, the war on drugs anymore. And I really think that law enforcement should stop spending so much time on that because one, we should all realize we have changed nothing. We spend $100 billion a year to stop a problem that our laws of prohibition caused in the first place. Yeah. We literally created the cartels and, and that we helped fund them with all these billions of dollars. But we need to wake up and be honest with the American people and start spending time on how about human trafficking? How about the sexual exploitation of children? Yes. And if we spent that much time and money that we do on the drug war on those heinous crimes, I think we could really make a dent in those. And we've not made a dent in the war on drugs at all. Yeah. So so anyway, I feel that way very uh, profoundly. Uh, but as far as the sheriff, uh, I want the, your followers and listeners, anybody watching this program today, I want you to understand you have an amazing obligation yourself here. You must have an ob you must have. Um, a relationship with your sheriff. Uh, he works for you, as I mentioned, and he needs to know what you uh, want him to do. Now, he can't just do anything you want because he promised you to follow the Constitution. Now, within that framework, mm -hmm. within that perimeter, 
start working with your sheriff saying, look, I'm tired of the IRS harassing me, uh, taking my stuff and treating me like uh, they are the Gestapo mm-hmm. and I'm the subject and they get to do anything to me they, that they want. Your sheriff has an obligation to stop that. You're now listening to-, to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. And I'm not kidding. How how significant or let me rephrase that. How insignificant would it be that the sheriff would promise you that he would protect you, your life, your liberty and your property and then tell you, but I won't do that if it's a government official taking all those things from you. Right. I'm not going to do it. I'll only do it if it's a street gang (laughs) or if it's a common criminal. But if it's a three piece suit with an attache case from Washington, D.C. or the state capitol, then I won't get involved. You see, it doesn't matter who it is. It matters what they are doing. Mm. And I don't care who. I care what. And if they're there to destroy my rights, destroy my family, destroy my business, destroy everything I've worked for my entire life, and they're stealing my home and stealing my bank accounts and stealing all my property, uh, and they're doing that a lot of times without due process or probable cause, then your sheriff absolutely has an obligation to inform the IRS, to inform the FDA, EPA, Army Corps of Engineers, USDA, FBI, uh, uh, all of them, and say, look, you're not going to do that in my county anymore. Uh, and the very premise of the IRS, with all the crimes they committed in America, that they that they have this opportunity and lawful, quote, lawful, because it's not lawful, but it, they think they have the law on their side to perform about 200,000 random audits that are baseless, that have no uh, base in probable cause, and just go after people and check all their uh, financial records. And then if they, and 90% of the time, by the way, all these citizens owe more money. 90% of the time. See, that's what I put in the bull loney file, because they right. don't have that authority, and they do not have the right to audit me unless they have probable cause. And every agency in this government must follow the Constitution. And if they don't, I, as sheriff, have no obligation to go along with them. In fact, quite the contrary. I must put a stop to all unlawful activity within the jurisdictional boundaries of my county. Mm. And if it means I got to put my retirement on the line or my job on the line or anything else, I must do my job. And as long as I'm the sheriff, that is my job. Uh, I, there's so much in there. I think one yeah, of the things, <laughs> one of the things in there, I think as uh, as a people here in the United States, and I, I'm I'm third generation military man. My dad raised me to appreciate and value and respect uh, our, our law enforcement and the power of command and, you know, the whole chain and all nine yards. And I've been on the other side of the law, right? I've, I did a couple of years in the, uh, on the dark side of the streets of Southern California. But what I find, even as I look back at that, while I was doing things that were shady at best, I still respected all of our men that were serving, um, uh, well, in that case in, in LA County. Um, but I think I just got off on a tangent where I was going with this, but I, I think over time, people as general in society have just been 
relinquishing, I, I give you a grain here, a grain there of my rights or my freedom, right? A little piece at a time until it becomes the norm to let any one of the alphabet agencies or, you mentioned. Or until COVID-19 hit, and then it was like, speed the, up. No, the more, floodgate, no more right? tiny baby steps. Now it's bold in your face. We're just destroying We're everything in America. Yeah, right. And, and that happened really, really fast. Yeah. But as long as it's for your own good, we get to do this. No, you don't. That's just it. You that's don't. And I know that's what you're saying, right? You can't. Um, and, no. and there's a number of folks that the results of COVID, and I know when it, when everything first started, I was like, okay, well, if there's a pandemic, let's let's do the right let's thing for a couple of let, weeks, right? Yeah. Let's cooperate. Let's yeah. let's rest in the house and. You know, do the mask. Well, the mask thing wasn't happening at that point. But then it just became this series, one step after, oh, well, they're willing to do that. Well, let's do this and then let's do that. And it's like, but well, wait a minute, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I have determined that the most damnable uh, thing that government can do to any of us is try to take care of us, force us to do certain uh, things for our health, and then tell us. I'm doing this and, and I'm shutting down your churches and I'm shutting down your uh, religions and I'm shutting and I'm arresting ministers and I'm arresting people for going to church. And I get to tell you how to have Thanksgiving dinner and I get to force you to wear a, a diaper on your face. Yes. And if you don't do all these things and if you don't stay away from your family Thanksgiving and Christmas and if you do anything that we tell you not to regarding your own personal health choices. Then we're going to throw you in jail and we're going to we're going to not let you eat and drink and and sleep and anything. else. And we're going to completely control everything. And we can do that because it's for your own good. And besides, just like in Nuremberg, we're just following orders. There is nothing more damnable than a government that tells you I'm just following orders or I get to do this to you because it's for your own good. Yes. Those are the most damnable excuses for tyranny that have ever existed in human history. And every time, and anybody who's read even a chapter of any history of the rise or fall of any great nation or civilization, that's usually when it starts, right? When, when they say, oh, I'm going to start doing this for the people, you know, and then it just, uh, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. It really is. They're just too stupid to take care of themselves. And I'm uh, I know I can't balance my own budget, and I know I can't balance the budget of the federal government, but we're really smart, and we're really great defenders of the people, so we're just going to defend you whether you like it or not. We're going to take care of you whether you like it or not, and it's for the good of the whole, so ah, what the hell? What the hell? You're just, <laughs> and oh, by the way, just do what I say. Yeah, do what I say. I, you know, if it's just do what I say, then why did we fight against King George III in the Revolutionary War. Thank you. Why did we just do what we were told? Thank you. Why did we fight against Hitler? Why did we just do what we were told? Yeah. You know, and when and when Churchill was going to compromise and and go ahead and and work with Hitler so that they could keep their lives, why didn't you just go ahead and do it? But but the people rose up in uh, righteous indignation and said, "No, we want to be free." In the Revolutionary War, we the people said we want to be free. Our founders of this great country said, "Give me liberty or give me death." And I and I have said that throughout this entire pandemic. And and my students uh, have even written me back about, it. you know what, Sheriff? Maybe Patrick Henry's quote 
give me liberty or give me death really applies to this COVID thing. Yeah. It absolutely does. Yeah. And folks, there is no excuse and no time ever, no pandemic, no hurricane, no natural disaster, no uh, program, uh, politics, uh, uh, any kind of political program that no matter how much good it might do, that government has the right to force that on us in any way. Mm-hmm. Now, now, let me let me add something about this. This came up in my Supreme Court lawsuit at the district court level. So my trip, my journey to get to the Supreme Court, the first case where I actually testified, uh, and this is regarding the Brady Bill and and my ire about the federal government and the and this was the Clinton administration. So I guess you might say the truth of this and the miracle is. I sued the Clintons and lived to tell about it. So, but but Judge John Roll was the district court judge, a federal judge, and he actually said this. The attorney for the federal government was trying to testify herself about the wonderful efficacy and results of the enforcement of the Brady Bill background checks in the first four months of its implementation. And she rattled off all these statistics to the to the judge. And I was actually on the stand at the time, and I was wondering why my attorney wasn't objecting, because she can't put in testimony. Right. She can ask me questions. She tried to get me to do it. Right. She can't do it. Or she could have called another witness. But she. But anyway, I'm really glad my attorney said nothing, because the judge really went after her. And he said this. He said, Counselor, do not pretend in my courtroom that your statistical analysis somehow equates to constitutionality. And see what he taught me here and what he really taught America. And I've actually written about this. And I and I say this on just about every interview I give. What Judge Roll was saying is that the benefit of any statute or enforced statute, if you can show me all the statistics that showed that there was a great benefit from this bill or this statute, then, of course, we're going to keep it because it's automatically wonderful and good and obviously constitutional because it provided so much benefit to everyone. No, whether the pandemic of restrictions and regulations were good or bad or provided a benefit or did not, does not make it lawful. And our legislatures must follow the law and our executive branch has no authority to issue mandates that restrict our liberty And so no one has the authority to do what they've been doing and that we all went along or or obviously not all of us, but the people and the sheeple and those that went along, you brainwashed cowards, get out from underneath this yoke and stand up for yourselves and stand up for your neighbors and say, you know what? It might be good to wear a mask. It might be good to get a vaccination, but I am never going to support any government that forces either one of us on on that. That's where we should be. And we should be, I want to ask every sheriff and every teacher and every government official, do you really want us to send this message to our children that we have the authority, we are the government, and we have the authority to shut you down, destroy your lives, and destroy your schools, and lock you up in your homes and give you home arrest, what judges give you when there's not enough room in jails. Right. We give you home arrest and we can do all of that to you because we're from the government and we're here to take care of you. Mm. Do you want that message or do you want 
the message to go to your children, even though we've got serious problems right now, and even though there's looked like a real health issue out there in the world and in our community, we cannot force you to participate. We cannot force your assistance or your help. We hope that we will teach you correct principles and that you will make the right decision for yourself. Because, my dear friends, that is the principle of liberty. That's the principle. Which which message do you really want? I want that last one, man. I want that last one. That's what we were birthed on. That's what it's, it's all in the, it's in the document. You just got to read it. You got to, but you got to stand up for it. Hmm? That's really key to all of this. If you have public officials, a patrol officer, sheriffs, cops, city council, county commission, if you have all of them who have sworn an oath and they all have, who have sworn an oath of allegiance to the constitution, do you think they could ever do that without ever reading it? Oh God! You I will hope do it without studying it. And and folks, we offer that training. We at the CSPOA, we offer the training, and we also offer your assistance. We need your help, or this isn't going to work. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance from we the people. And Jefferson warned us about that. We have to be involved in the process. Absolutely. And so, and I, I was actually. I was I was actually taking it there because I know you have some great literature, some great information for yeah. those just like me, right? I'm not a sheriff. I'm not a law enforcement official of any no, kind. You're the sheriff's boss. I'm the sheriff's boss, right? And, and there's uh, there's a number of documents and uh, and literature from uh, your website. And so if folks want to learn more about Sheriff Mac and the, the CSPOA. Where do we want to send them to? CSPOA. I'll say it slower. C-S-P-O-A dot org. CISPOA. dot org. And everybody can join. All citizens can join. They can join the Posse membership there. Everybody can make a donation. And what we ask people to just do what you can. Do what you can do. Join us in this holy cause of liberty. Get get involved. I know uh, we have reached out to our sheriff here in Washington County, Wisconsin, uh, Sheriff Martin Schulstes, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Great guy, already a constitutional sheriff. Uh, we have joined the CSPOA. We believe in it that much. Uh, sheriff Mac, I definitely appreciate you coming on here, hanging out with us for a bit and, and dropping this knowledge. And hopefully it spurs others to you know stand up and go what's he talking about let me go check that out because really at the end of the day it's all it's all behooven of all of us to stand up take a moment read the document the documents get um not educated but be informed about who's supposed to be doing what and why and who can't be doing what and why and then raise our hand say hey sheriff aren't you supposed to be hooking me up right here and, and, you know, and go talk to him. I know when we reached out to our sheriff, he said, yeah, come on over to the office and uh, I'll sit down and chat with you all you want. Yeah. And I imagine just about every sheriff out there is probably just as welcoming to their constituents. Uh, some some are not, but, uh, you know, I think they're going to pay a price for it. But I mean, there's literally sheriffs who who said you can email me, but I will not meet with you in person. Really? Whoa. Ah, Whoa. Oh, can't imagine yeah. that. Mistake. Mistake, right? Well, he's not going to get reelected. <laughs> Again, Sheriff Mack, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Thanks for having me, and we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman. 